Welcome to Anarchists and Androids. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by my co-host, Parenthesis I. Hello. Ooh, how are you doing this week? Oh, yeah, yeah, pretty good. That's good. That's good. We've been watching some, we've been watching a little more of The Last of Us. Oh, oh what are your thoughts so far? Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> are you? I yeah. I do not think I love it. <laughs> oh, I love episode three. And I think of the rest of them, my favorite so far has been episode six. Oh, the, the last one that, that aired recently. Yeah. Yes, I like the last recent one. And there's reasons for that. There's thoughts oh, I've had. I, can <laughs> I think people can start guessing some of the reasons for that. Oh wow! So none of the the stuff that took the episodes four and five took place in Kansas City. That didn't do anything for you. Um, being set there was interesting. I have thought. I I, I think I. I have a vague, like, I think where I think things were supposed to be said. I'm pretty sure that the houses they were going into are North Kansas City, but I'm not 100% certain just what it seemed like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Kansas City is like a, a hellscape. Yeah, <laughs> it's like an authoritarian nightmare with zombies that live underground. <laughs> which I, I think and there's a there's a bit of a... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about this way. When we create works of fiction... The worlds that we build and the, and the way that people respond to them and interact are, are are what we determine. So that's largely guided by any biases or assumptions that we may have. And there's a few things in there that make me um I question a few of the choices that have been made throughout the series. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. <laughs> So you said you took quite a few notes on here. Would you like to start off the discussion of 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 these episodes we've been looking at? An observation that, that a YouTuber pointed out that like the sanctuaries that are based on like mutual care and support tend to thrive in mm -hmm. this Last of Us series. So examples of that would be like Bill and Frank's place, that Native American couple in the last episode, and then uh, Jackson, Wyoming. But then they also, when you contrast it with the authoritarian areas that are either run by Fedra. Mm -hmm or that rebel regime in Kansas City, those places tend to like fall apart and be overrun by zombies. <laughs> so the authoritarian regimes don't quite keep off the zombies. And now, uh, thinking realistically about this, I don't... So here's the thing. Like, like, I have an issue with like an authoritarian regime, but would an authoritarian regime necessarily in reality collapse and be overrun by zombies i don't know if that's necessarily the case i think that they might actually be pretty good at staving off zombies because they're good yeah. at killing people <laughs> and that's just reality yeah. <laughs> i think and there's does that make sense yeah or, or i mean i guess it could also maybe it could be a question of scale too right mm -hmm. because like uh those you know zones like frank and Bill and the native couple, well, that's a couple. So just literally two people. And then Jackson, Wyoming is like a small town compared to like, you know, Atlanta, Boston, and uh, Kansas City. I think it's interesting. Now, I'd like to talk about the group in charge of Kansas City for a minute, because I'm not 100% sure I've wrapped my head around who these people were and what their whole shtick was. Um we have in what was the it was a Boston was the original city we started at was or am I oh, incorrect? No, Austin. Austin. It Texas. was Austin, Texas, is what it was. Yeah. I thought okay. So the Austin, Texas was that initial city. 
Um, and there was what, what was that that organization that was very fascistic? I'm assuming sort of right wing ish type. Oh yeah, so that was uh, well. You first see them in Boston, you know, mm-hmm. years later after, like you see the initial outbreak take place in Austin, and yes. then they jump to a few years later, and then in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, so we're, we're Fedra. A, a so Fedra. Fedra is like what remains of the U.S. government. Okay, so we have the remnants of the United States government there in Boston, and it, it as we see, is very like uh, jackboot stormtrooper soldiers in the street policing. You know, the evolution of uh, of how the militarized police to the nth degree, essentially. So, what is the roots of this group that's in charge of Kansas City? Oh. It- the roots is Kathleen, and I forget the name, Perry, I think is her second in charge. Mm-hmm. And like uh, Kathleen had a brother that was like killed by Fedra. And so like Kathleen is like this consumed with revenge. And even like her brother was like this nice guy. Everybody loved him. And he even said his dying words is like, you know, don't seek revenge. And she's like, fuck it. I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> God, And they just show all this retribution like all over the place in Kansas City after they take charge. And so that reminded me of uh, the, the French Revolution when you had yes. the reign of terror and committed by the public of the Committee for Public Safety that just was massacred people. I think it's interesting that in a right wing capitalist police state that we live in in the United States is what I'm going to name it. I think it's interesting that we choose to show the opposition of the right wing capitalist police state. Uh, as it's as it's evolved to its more brutal totalitarian form, that an opposition would also fall into the same brutality as the right wing state. I think that shows some kind of specific bias there, if that makes sense, to choose to paint an opposition to it that way. Not to say that you know that might not exist, but under current. The current regime, it's interesting that that's a choice. That's a deliberate choice, I feel. <laughs> well, I mean, but then at the same time, like there's different ways you can do opposition. Like there's mm-hmm. the violent paramilitary yes. opposition that you see with Kathleen. But then there's the opposition that you see like in Jackson, Wyoming, which is like this beautiful communist utopia. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the one that I think is my favorite. And that that's what makes that episode my favorite is that we're seeing that. Now, I think you mentioned it earlier. I, I want to bring up something else too besides this. I like the way that Station Eleven portrays human interaction and conflict in the future of this apocalyptic world because it does tend to show a little bit more um, community interdependency, whereas The Last of Us tends to be more of a must survive the individual rugged guys trying to protect this young girl type of thing. There's a far stronger like message or theme leaning in that direction if that makes sense. So I tend to prefer the future apocalypse of Station Eleven over the future apocalypse of The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, Last of Us, it kind of blends together some kind of like libertarian aspects as well as yeah. like the communist community aspects. At yeah. The same time. Oh, libertarian communism, perhaps? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I would not say that The Last of Us is a libertarian communist series, but something we can talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
especially Jackson, Wyoming, of all places, being like a communist haven. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And the, the discussion that's had there in the show where where it says that we're collectively ownership and all this is also like communists. And no, we're not. It's not like that. And the woman responds, well, no, it's exactly like that. We're communists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that was a probably one of my favorite scenes in, in the last three episodes was that little interaction there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what's weird is like in Jackson, they show like a few U.S. flags flying around too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's realistically like that probably would be the case, you know, it, yeah. it would be changing. It doesn't. Let's go back to Kansas City. So you're, they're, they're stuck in Kansas City trying to get out and you find another group, the, the feller who was uh, they, they quite his. So what did he do? He he turned in a, her another person to the ephedra or something along those lines so yeah so they find like henry like and initially like it's so it's kind of like episode four and five are like the kansas city story arc (laughs) and uh and so when you first like episode four you hear about henry you think oh he's like a rebel against the rebels you know he's like really badass but then it turns out like he's just like a scared guy that's trying to care for his little brother and so and his little brother has leukemia and so what happened is like he turned in Kathleen's brother to the Fedra authorities in exchange for medicine for his little brother to treat the leukemia. And and that's what like got Kathleen like really pissed off at Henry. It's like yeah, turned in her brother and got him killed. And I think the point being made here that I like out of this is that we are quick to make judgments of others for doing things that we perceive as that is the bad thing to do. Often not taking into consideration the context of which the person has made the decisions in which to do that. And I think that across the board, our definitions of good, evil, bad, we constantly fight back and forth to justify actions. We justify the warfare we engage in. Every country that engages in warfare and mass murder has a justification for it <laughs> and and when it comes to like individual workers and citizens there's a lot of weight in society placed on when somebody chooses to do that bad thing that individual and they've been wrong and not look at the edges of the conditions or the root of the problem that led to someone making those decisions uh, kind of the idea of like things like transformative justice uh, restorative justice says that we look at why people choose to rob, steal, kill, and address what begins those problems. So I think that looking at his situation in that manner is interesting and not a, is a, a positive overall. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, uh, instead of like having the impression that Henry's like just this evil guy, instead, like, you see, like, he was a guy that was really desperate and concerned about his brother's survival I, i'll go back you, you're familiar i know you're familiar with marshall rogersenberg i shouldn't oh, ask yeah i met him even yeah <laughs> oh really that's cool yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well marshall rosenberg's like nonviolent communication he talks about the language that we use uh and a lot of times our language is very judgmental language of authority he spoke about and uh, some of that i feel that some of that does seep up into tv and stuff like that and Especially when we're talking about someone who has done something that's perceived as the great sin or the great offense, like what he's done. And stop and look at what Marshall Rosenberg expresses is the the uh, is the 
he wants you to look at the needs that are not being fulfilled. And in this case, the need that is, is to keep his brother alive, the need for health care. That's what we're striving for, reaching and meeting those root causes of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like demonizing people. Yeah. Humanizing people. You're right. But then it's interesting in this case, like when people turn into zombies, they literally lose their humanity. <laughs> <laughs> their brains get eaten up by the fungi. I mean, that's I think that's the point being, I guess, in this is that it's not humanity that is the the plague. It is it is literally another life form. But at the same time, a lot of the conflicts are occurring between people is very interpersonal conflict. We're getting more conflict between humans, I feel, than humans just popping off random zombies lumbering around. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's interesting with the Kansas City story is like there's so much focus on the fights between humans that you almost forget about the zombies until the very end of episode five when like tons of zombies come out of, out of the ground. <laughs> and then suddenly like all the humans have to unite against the zombies. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it seems like more like they just unite unite and just being slaughtered by a bunch of mushroom zombies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as they come out of the out of the ground of the house and swamp the the suburban neighborhood there in North Kansas City, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but so another point they made uh, is like that, like Fedra. They show like they have a one of the early episodes. Like they have a machine that scans people to see if somebody is infected with the zombie fungus. Mm -hmm. But then when you go to like Jackson, they don't use any fancy machines. They just have a trained dog. Yeah, the dog sniffing them out for the yeah. disease. Now, now let's talk about the girl and the dog and the disease and her situation there. Because this is, I guess she's not infected, but she's able to fight it off somehow, however yeah, that is. So she's immune somehow. So I'm assuming that it's not present in her system if the dog's not sniffing it out or it wasn't able to grow. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, like the dog could like tell because the dog shows like some signs that he's detecting it, but then he realizes that that she's okay. And she, so, yeah. yeah, like like when they check her with the machine, the machine shows her as testing positive for it, though. At the same, yeah, because so it kind of like you can trust like organic life, like a dog, more than you can trust like machines <laughs> and the, <laughs> the techno horrible <laughs> system. Yeah, capital capital S system. Yeah, and, and, and so like. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like advocating for more of a simple, low-tech, community-based, you know, down-to-earth kind of approach. You can view it that way. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I don't feel that anything we've seen yet reaches the level of the third episode. It was just so well done. <laughs> oh, uh, man. I gotta say, like, no, the episode five, though, the end, like, moved me to tears. Like, Ellie has that uh, blood that's immune to it. And then, like, they see that the little boy, uh, Sam, I think was his name, the one that Henry, like, did all that stuff, you know, Visco's life and, you know, became <laughs> public enemy number one trying to save Sam. Sam then gets bit by the zombies. And then, like, Ellie sees that and she says, oh, well, like, my blood is medicine, she said, you know, because she knows she's immune and all that. And so she cuts herself and puts some of her blood on the cut. And then they're they're going to go to sleep and stuff. And hopefully, you know, it leads the audience thinking, okay, the next morning, everything's going to be better because Ellie would have healed them. But instead, like it turned out Sam had turned into a zombie. And then his brother like had to kill him. 
and the brother is like so distraught and shaken up by it but he blows his brains out and that's the end of the episode yeah, so <laughs> I was this, like, God damn. There is like this this theme, like we when we meet the new, so he that when we arrive at the, the commune, he meet his brothers there. He's he's expecting a child. Oh. Um, they start talking about the children they lost from before. Um, there is this this running theme throughout where it is the last of us how everybody is dying uh and and die, your kids your little brothers your children i can't fathom losing my children that's something i don't know if i could mentally handle yes so there's a lot of discussion about these two men who, who the brothers who's joel and what what's the brother's name of the oh. main character being joel and then joel. the brothers to- is it that- tommy yeah tommy joel and tommy so there's a lot of discussion there about the horrible things that they did leading up to this. Yeah, because they were bandits. They would just like rob and kill people. And so we go from losing somebody and having no purpose so that we turn into bandits, we turn into villains. And then when you get an attachment to another human being, it seems as if they are perhaps forming or regaining some of that humanity and love and compassion they have. Yeah. So it's about like finding your humanity again and connecting with people on a human level. And in a way, so that's kind of like a, a healing effect for Joel uh, with him connecting to Ellie. And then likewise, Tommy, you know, like found a woman that he fell in love with and married and stuff. So they're kind of humanizing themselves in the process of living in an apocalypse. Yeah, and I guess the way that I can kind of relate to that in a sense is 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 thinking about the process of having kids because he's getting ready to have a child. I remember when I found out I was going to be a father, I was like, "Oh, I've got to change all these things." And I was, I was a hooligan. <laughs> I was, I, I got into stuff. I was like, "Okay, I gotta stop fighting. I gotta stop doing this. I gotta stop doing all these things." <laughs> but you weren't like robbing and killing people, though. <laughs> so. I was a Marine and uh, all right. So anyway, <laughs> so anyways, I've never killed anybody. <laughs> um, but I was a Marine. So, you know, violence was a thing. Anyhow, we, uh, I think it's, I, 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 I I, I think there's something there that interests me, this idea. And perhaps it's because I went through drastic changes in self-evaluation myself when I realized there was this, well, originally it was just my son's the first, the oldest. It was like, I realized this little guy was going to be in the world and he needed me. I needed to be there and I need to be daddy for this guy. Uh, and then my daughter came along shortly, about a year or two afterwards. And uh, those things are, they, they, they drastically changed how I saw the world. They were big influences on what I like me being more intentional about my actions, the the risks that I take, the things that I do, and even the things that I believe. So there is to me a lot of like, yeah, there is a truth to that when there's other people you care about. And this kind of goes back to this whole like discussion on Marx and alienation and how capitalism has alienated us. And that connection with other human beings around us in our community, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah you see, like when they're in Boston, you know, like people have jobs and they use money and currency and stuff. But when they're in Jackson, they like they share everything in common. 
and rotate tasks. I really like the I, I like the idea of having like this small like little neighborhood sized town where you have like a, a like a couple larger places like a restaurant or something they have where you can just go and your meals there. You don't have to worry about cooking it at home all the time. Just go get a meal, and hey, maybe take turns sharing the kitchen responsibilities, cleaning the dishes throughout everybody. You can split up the necessary labor to make that happen. And nobody has to be like tied to it all the time. Like you are, if you're working in food service now. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And with Jackson, like they do describe the place, like they use the word communist and they also use the word council and they don't have anyone in charge. They have like a council of directly elected people. And so th using that word council and communist, that reminds me, there's a, a philosophy uh, that's kind of like a sibling philosophy of anarchism called council communism. <laughs> that started a hundred years ago. And I'm a fan of the council communism. The stuff I've read on council communism is something I'm a fan of. Uh, I like what they say there. <laughs> they yeah, have some yeah. good stuff. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> At one point, Joel describes to Ellie, like the way things were before the zombie apocalypse. And he said that uh, some people wanted to own everything and some people don't want anyone to own anything at all. And then he described himself that like, oh, well, he just went to work. He didn't worry about any of that stuff. <laughs> he was a, he was a contractor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he describes everyone loves contractors, you know, <laughs> in that society before. <laughs> I, I've done a lot of contract work at work in the past. Uh, stuff like drywall, pouring tubs, doing floors, tile work, uh, construction type stuff. Uh, contractor work. One of the things that I'm going to put out there is that you get stiffed a lot because people like to, you get, you're doing stuff as contract for these com companies. And a lot of them don't necessarily pay you all the time. I am doing contract work. I've had plenty of times where Friday you show up at somebody's office after working your butt off all day at some job site for the week, you know, every day that week. And then that, they decide they're not going to give you money. And that's not uncommon doing contractor work. Yeah, so a bit different than what Joel said, that everybody loved and adored you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do love and adore the contractors out there, though, because a lot of those contractors are the ones who make a lot of the basic necessities like housing and stuff like that possible for us. That kind of labor is extremely necessary in society. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then in the last episode, they revealed, because every time, like initially, they're looking for the fireflies, like the mm -hmm. rebel group, right? And so initially they said, oh, the fireflies are over in Wyoming. And then they get to Wyoming and they say, oh, no, they're in Colorado. And then they get to Colorado and like, oh, no, they're in Utah. <laughs> so they might make their way eventually to the like specific ocean. Well, we'll see. The fireflies seem to be evading us for now. Uh, my so When the fireflies are going to be able to, as I understand it, do something with her blood or be able to examine her medically and make a, some kind of cure happen, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, and, or a vaccine, you know, just like um, with COVID. And then people refuse to take the vaccine. <laughs> Uh, I'm curious as to why it has to be the fireflies that are the ones to do this. Are they like, is there something about them that gives them access to resources like medically or something that's outside of the others? And I, I, I there may be something in the game about that, but I don't think I've heard anything in the show as why. Uh, well, since like they say that they're now based in Utah, it might be related to the Mormon religion. <laughs> ah, so the fireflies are Mormons now. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that you can save yourself by converting to Mormonism. <laughs> hmm. Excellent. They've found the vaccination, it's belief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and then I wanted to point out also at the very end of this uh, episode six, they have that song, Never Let Me Down Again, which they played at the end of the first episode with the, the Depeche Mode version that I love, you know, I remember that when I was a teenager. But then at the end of episode six, they play the same song, but covered by uh, Jessica Mazin. And yeah, it's so much more like melancholy. And also it kind of, because it's like a woman singing it, it kind of symbolizes how like going forward, Joel is not going to be like the main protagonist because he he was like stabbed and he's near death. And so Ellie, the, the little kid, you know, she's going to be the main character that's going to be leading the series, at least in the next episode. Oh, so Joel's still around, though. I mean, are we, are we sure? Was he gone for good? Are we going to lose him? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a cliffhanger. Yeah. But like, I mean, I assume that since you have three episodes left and like Pedro Pascal is like the main like marketing figure for this, that I imagine he's not going to die. <laughs> hey, well, the one thing that that tends to. So oh, let's go back to the Station Eleven slash The Last of Us interaction. Like when he gets stabbed. Everywhere they go, when they interact with people, the automatic uh, default assumption is that there is going to be a fight slash a conflict. You have out your gun. You're ready to fight. In Station Eleven, that wasn't necessarily your default when you met another human being. Sometimes you were cautious, but not jumping into these violent fights. I think there's something to be said there how does that realistically work when I meet people or run into people, even in most circumstances, I'm not jumping into a fight with them. Like you might, even if it's going to be an aggressive confrontation with somebody that may not be pleasant. Usually there's words that are exchanged before something like that gets to that point. Well, I mean, there's, there's a, I would say there's examples in both series, right? Like, because there are in station 11, the red bandanas that are like violent gangs that go and yes. attack. And then there's like, you know, regular folk that aren't causing any harm. And then the same thing with uh, in The Last of Us, like you do have like violent thugs and stuff, bandits that attack. But then you also have people like the Frank and uh, Jim interaction, you know, where like they meet each other and they're afraid of each other. But then eventually they gain trust and comfort and then eventually they fall in love. So (laughs) (laughs) And that was the best one of them all. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, but episode five didn't do it for you. I, episode five was interesting. It, it was definitely not my highest list on the. I, I like I said, I actually thought episode six, outside of episode three, episode six has been my favorite so far, and largely because I'm, I like seeing these uh, new ways that people. My favorite part, I think, at this point is seeing people address this problem where society has collapsed and they have to they have to meet their needs and they have to organize with the material environment around them and with the other people around them to live, to go forward. I like that. That's probably my favorite element of it. And I, and I really like what they did with, uh, with uh, Nick Offerman in that story there in episode three. And I like seeing the commune in episode six. So those are probably my favorite elements of it. Um, the zombie stuff itself, I'm glad it's not constant zombies coming at you and that there's only occasional big bursts of zombies. I would get very uh, bored with that quick. <laughs> and then they revealed that in episode five, like a different kind of zombie that's, I think they call it a bubbler. And it's basically a superhuman strength and stuff and is bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, that thing was, uh, that thing was interesting. 
how did a human being turn into that? Is that just all like mold pushing them out in there? Is it something evolving to something new, like hybrid life forms or, or what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, because they're showing like different kinds of zombies out there. Right? Like, like uh, there's regular zombie, <laughs> but then there's like the clicker that's like blind, but uses like a click, makes a clicking sound. And I guess it's like a bat, like echolocation. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I picked thing. up. They talked about it, making a click and, and be able to hear where it's going. Yeah. And then you have the bubbler, you know, uh, which has like superhuman strength and invulnerable, uh, kind of like Colossus, I guess, from the X-Men. <laughs> this seems to me like these elements of the different styles of zombies seem to be very video game like to me. Like this is obviously inspired by a video game. We need different kinds of zombies to fight in the game. Stuff oh, like yeah. that. <laughs> so you can kind of tell where the source material is there and how that influenced this show. Oh yeah. Well, and then since your pattern so far is like you like episode three and episode six the best. So that that would mean episode nine would be a great one for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking uh, it's a three. It's a, I'm a lucky number. I like I like numbers that are divisible by three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do we have any other points in your notes that we want to cover tonight today before this uh, is? Uh... No, no, that's the uh, yeah, pretty much it. Yeah. So uh, going forward, um, I'm I'm pretty sure. Pedro Pascal's gonna live through it. We'll probably have a little uh, my prediction is that we'll see her kind of struggling to get by as she's gotta take care of him and nurse him back to health. But I have a feeling he's gonna continue on as the main protagonist. I could be wrong. It is the last of us and they do like to kill everybody off it seems. Oh yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. Hopefully he doesn't die and hopefully like the brother doesn't die either. Yeah, I, I was a little nervous that they were going to do like a like a zombies overwhelm and destroy the commune, but it seems to be it's been left intact. I hope we just kind of leave it back there safe and not not getting ran over by zombies and killing everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe like a, one prediction is like maybe they make their way to Utah and they'll find some nice loving Mormon family that will like nurse him back to health. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we have. We have last week we took looked at quantum wasp quantum mania. We got all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, I want to bring up one more thing that's slightly related is that Pedro Pascal is going to be back on screen in another show here in about a week or so. Oh, is that Mandalorian season three? Yeah, so we should be. That's that's the next week or so, isn't it? Is this the beginning of March or am I wrong on my dates? Oh, gosh, yeah. Actually, I don't know because that would be interesting if they'd be uh, releasing like new Mandalorian episodes as well as uh, The Last of Us at the same time. So like <laughs> new Pedro Pascal things at the same time. So yeah, uh, episode three, uh, March first would be that one. I mean uh, for uh, season three. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, Mando. We're gonna have we're gonna have him in both of those <laughs> airing simultaneously. Only one we don't really get to see him because if he removes his helmet, he's an apostate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you only could see him little sneak peeks, you know. But in, in both of them, he'll have, maybe that's what they had to kill him. Then Maybe that's what they had to kill him at the end of the episode so that he'd go over and be at Mandalorian for the rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a run with the sidekick in both shows simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe like season three of Mandalorian, like he'll be mainly without the helmet and 
instead it, for the last of us he'll need to wear some kind of helmet contraption to stay alive <laughs> <laughs> oh no you're walking around breathing heavy like darth vader <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but you can only like there's only enough room for seeing pedro pascal's face on one show at a time <laughs> yeah so we're gonna have to cover oh no what if they cover it with fungus oh wow yeah i'm becoming some kind of hybrid thing you know using <laughs> Ellie's immunity powers. <laughs> he, he he'd be a he'd be a real fun guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also I wanted to say, uh, uh, forgot to say it last time we talked about Last of Us is like this show also reminds me of Children of Men. That movie. I don't know if you saw that. I did, but I saw it when it first came out, and I, I'm I'm kind of hazy on it. I think I'd have to rewatch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, similar style, like post-apocalyptic kind of thing, and. With that, like nobody's reproducing except they find this one pregnant woman that you know obviously mm-hmm. is able to reproduce. Yeah. And so, like the the guy, this one man is trying to like save her, bring her to safety to some like weird, mysterious rebel group, and presumably they would be able to learn from her and bring you know whatever powers she has to everybody else, you know, like a vaccine or something. So very similar, very violent and graphic in a very kind of realistic way that you can imagine happening in real life that scares the hell out of you. And that Clive Owen who starred in that, that's his name, Clive Owen, right? Oh, the star. Yeah. Isn't that Clive Owen? That. Isn't that his name? Uh, he was in a lot of stuff in the early 2000s, and then he kind of vanished for a bit. And then uh, he, I was, uh, he, I recently saw him, he recently popped up, because I hadn't seen him in a while, playing Bill Clinton over at the Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky TV show that came out recently. Oh. If you haven't seen that, wow. <laughs> so that was him. That was in as Bill Clinton being kind of creepy with his Bill Clinton portrayal. It was interesting. Wow. <laughs> well, that's about all we have for today. <laughs> Would you like to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? Oh yeah. So I'm, uh, I have some of my writings on my blog at parenthesis i that's e-y-e dot blogspot.com and then on mastodon i'm at parenthesis i and you can find me at the daily podcast wobblies and wizards where we talk about role-playing games and i'm on tiktok and twitter and other places at logar hail crom everyone has their own rebellion